0: Welcome, guys, and gals, to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together some of the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals who help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Uh, joining me today is Mr. Harris O'Malley, and uh, also known as Dr. Nerd Love, which, like, you know. How do you not have a guy named Doctor Nerdlove on your show? <laughs> it's such a rad name as a as a guy in high school who was a total nerd. That's me. I was I was kind of nerdy uh, when I when I came across him. Uh, absolutely had to have him on the show. Uh, before I introduce Harris, I just want to let all of you know that uh, not only did Vienna and I get married last weekend, for those of you who follow me on Instagram, you may have seen some of the shenanigans from The Drive or listened to the mini episode last week where I recapped uh, The Drive because I drove her father uh, from New Jersey all the way to Whistler, BC to be at our wedding. Uh, But we have a huge announcement, which is that both Vienna and I, uh, we are combining forces and we have launched uh, as of today a a seven-day free uh, reset relationship challenge. And so uh, whether you are single, whether you are taken, married, in a relationship or other, whatever your relationship status is, um, we have been asked by many, many people to do a relationship reset. And so uh, I would love for you to join us. You can head on over to mantalks.com and sign up. Uh, It's going to be seven days. It's totally free. We're going to dive into how to move from conflict into connection. We're going to talk about uh, how to deepen sex and intimacy. We're going to look at uh, dating. We're going to look at communication. And uh, if you are a part of it, there are going to be daily videos with some uh, worksheets for you to go through, uh, some tips, some insight and uh, some actionables for you whether you are single or in a relationship. So we hope that you sign up. Um, It's going to be live for a while. Uh, Basically, this is going to kick off on uh, April 29th. So you have a week and a bit to sign up. Uh, But head on over to Mantalks.com, sign up and join us because it is going to be an absolute blast. Uh, And we already have a ton of people that are joining us on this challenge. So With that said, uh, let me introduce Mr. Harris O'Malley. He's a dating coach uh, who provides geek dating advice at Paging Doctrine or Love, as well as Kotaku and elsewhere. Uh, He and his work have been featured on things like Nightline, Vice, The Guardian, New York Magazine, The Huffington Post. Uh, Good Man Project, uh, MTV's Guy Code, the Harvard Business Journal, and so, so many others. Uh, he talks about a v- wide variety of things. He's got a great part on his page where you can actually ask him questions uh, and he responds. So it's really informative. And on this episode, we actually talk about quite a bit. So Harris w- is was formerly a, a part of the Pickup Artist Uh, industry. And he shares his story at the very beginning about how he got involved with that as someone who was, you know, very uh, socially challenged in the beginning, was not good at dating, you know, felt insecure about it. And he explains why he got into it and why he got out of it. So he shares a little bit about the pickup industry. We talk about that uh, why it came into power? You know why so many guys uh, were were and some are still uh, a part of that industry. And then we dive into modern dating. We talk a lot about modern dating and relationships. Uh, we talk about sex and intimacy, how to talk about sex. Um, we actually touch on the topic of consent. We talk about dating post Me Too and how the you know post how Me Too has sort of has, has impacted and affected. Uh, men and women, so we talk about both sides of the spectrum, uh, and we go into a wide variety of topics. So, you know, whether you are whether you are single, whether you're in a relationship, this is just an awesome, awesome episode all about relationships. So, without any further ado or delay, please welcome Mr. Harris O'Malley.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, it's great, uh, great to have you on the show. I'm, I'm so curious. I have so many questions for you. Uh, and it's interesting because you have been referred to us by a few different people. We're actually working with a organization out of Canada and they loved your work. They're they're a company called Saks. They do like men's, men's boxers, men's underwear. (laughs) And, uh, and your name came up in one of the meetings and I was like, man, I keep hearing about this guy. I should probably have him on the show. Yeah. Yeah. So, so whatever you're doing. It's working. (laughs) But uh, yeah, let's kick things off today with the question, which is tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today.
1: Well, this is actually kind of a two part story because it's it's both how I got into and how I got out of the uh, the pickup artist scene because growing up i was pretty much every stereotype you could imagine about being a nerd i mean i was this chubby really unathletic little kid i'm pale with the kind of tan that you can only get by spending too much time in front of a television um, all of my interests were strictly uh strictly consumption based i loved reading i loved watching cartoons especially anime loved comic books um i i don't go didn't go outside much because you know that's where the cursed daystar waits to burn me with its hate and it didn't help that I and all of my friends are these classic examples of like, especially in high school, of the big men on campus. I mean, my brother was and is an, a like pro level athlete who's also a rocket scientist. One of my oldest and dearest friends looks like the love child of Rob Lowe and Zach Efron. And he's also the nicest guy you'll ever meet. So you can't even hate him. And so they're all wildly popular and cool. And then there's me, the little, you know, pale goblin following around behind them. And this kind of followed me through most of high school, all of college, where I just had no social skills. I was awkward. I didn't know how to talk to anybody, like women especially. And I had no idea how to express myself in an attractive or positive way to someone that I wanted to date. I just didn't know what to do. And I grew up believing in this classic dating binary of either you were good with women or you weren't, and there was nothing you could do about it. And all of this ended up coming to a head at my brother's wedding, where uh, my friend, the one who looks like Zac Efron's love child, and I, we went head to head over the same woman. We both were interested in in this guest at the wedding, and he won. In as much as that one can win in that sort of thing, she like she she was more interested in him than she ever was in me. And to add insult to injury, their hotel room was right next to mine. Mm. So that was that was a long and deeply unpleasant night for me. (laughs) And so as I'm sitting there with my ear pressed against the wall and also crying, um, I I had what I call my Batman moment where I just vowed that this was never going to happen to me again. And instead of a bat crashing through a window, I did what a lot of nerds did and type how to get good with girls into Google and discovered Neil Strauss the game. And mm. from there, I just like, wait, are you telling me that this is stuff that I that it's not genetic? I can learn how to do this. And I just devoured that book like it was gospel. I found out that there was going to be a boot camp near me and I signed up for that and I dove into the pickup artist scene just with the passion of the newly converted, because I, I saw what was finally my chance to be like, oh wow! I can I can finally be a man here. I can actually catch up to uh, all my friends who who've known how to do this since birth. And for a while, for a few years, I was. It was the only thing that I did. It was literally the focus of my entire life, which leads to the second half of the story because after many, many years of this, and I got to be pretty damn good at it. I was out one night at a bar downtown in Austin, and I was getting ready to leave with this one woman. And it's almost like a bolt out of the blue where suddenly it's just I'm having a breakdown because I'm realizing I have spent months of cumulative time in bars i don't like spending insane amounts of money on drinks on going out uh going home with people that i don't like and the thing that that catalyzed it all is my realization uh, that i'm as i am getting to my car i am trying to figure out how i'm going to go back to her place not mine her place and have sex with her and then leave and never have to talk to her again, because I didn't actually like her that much. She was just going to be another notch on my bedpost. Hmm. And it's just this moment of like everything just collapsing in on me and my realizing I can't do this. I'm like having a panic attack. I look at her and say, hey, you know, I I can't do this. It's not you. It's me. I'm kind of freaking out here. Um, Have a good night. I go home and this becomes like the beginning of like a long, dark weekend of the soul as I'm trying to figure out what am I doing here? Because I had become an extremely manipulative, toxic person, the way that the scene had taught me to be. And it, I realized I had only ever talked about pickup with all of my friends for the last several years, including my friends who weren't in the scene. That's all I ever wanted to talk about. It's all I ever did. I couldn't really relate to anybody except in – Am I trying to hook up with them if they were a woman, or am I more dominant or more alpha, with air quotes, than them if they were a guy? And none of that was me. But if, by the same token, I was appreciating that for the first time I was socially successful. I was getting laid a lot, I was meeting lots and lots of women. And I needed to know is there some way that I can keep up with this success without being a horrible person in the process? And that just spurred me into doing a whole lot of just studying and soul searching and going through everything that I'd been taught in the pickup scene and trying to figure out is this real? Is this not? Is this legitimate? Why do we believe this? And in the meantime, I'm reading all of these books on psychology and human sexuality and female and male sexuality and gender roles and trying to figure it all out and ultimately sort of trying to synthesize a way that I could be my authentic, genuine self and still have like the social success that I wanted and figure out how I can be attractive in my way, as opposed to trying to put up this weird regurgitated variation on like what guys think that women want. And Mm -hmm. that kind of led in a roundabout way to my starting my career as
0: Dr. Nerdlove. Very cool, man. Very cool. Well, I well, I appreciate your honesty about it. I mean, it's it's interesting because a lot of the guys, not a lot, but you know, a, a good percentage of the men that that come and work with me at men's weekends and whatnot have been former pickup artist guys that are I call them I, I call them the recovering pickup artists. And, and it's really interesting to see them re entering into the dating scene in, you know, a sort of like post Me Too era. Mm-hmm. Trying to sort of figure out the the new rules of of dating. Uh, I'm curious. Before we go on, I have to ask: Why Doctor Nerd Love? Why did you pick that name? It's such a such a great catchy name, but I'm, I'm curious why you chose it.
1: I wish I could take credit for it myself, but a friend of mine actually came up with it when I was on a forum and talking about like. Giving giving dating advice to some of the people who are having some problems, and you know, I was kind of made a joke that I need to sort of do something with this. And one of the guys who ran that particular forum suggested, you know, what about you know, Doctor Nerd Love? I was like, I like
0: that. I, I <laughs> like that. I'm thinking, I'm going to go with that. So good, so good, man. Well, why why is it that you think that the pickup artistry pickup industry created such a a huge swell there? Because for a while it was massive. It was you know there was a lot of guys i'm from alberta canada and i just remember a bunch of my buddies talking about it and talking about these like workshops and seminars that they were going to and you know they'd go out to the bar and and try and pick up women and you know using all these tactics and it really seemed like for a while it was this huge rage and i'm curious you know from your perspective why you feel like it got so much steam and momentum
1: well i think a lot of it just came down to the fact that Even now, there really isn't much in the way of good or actionable dating advice for men. And because that binary that I've mentioned before, that you're either good with women or you're not. And and to admit that you're not is shameful. Mm. And then to want to try to fix that is somehow even more shameful, which is kind of bizarre when you think about it. Because we never look at someone going like, I'm not good at sports. I would like to get better at sports and go, loser. Or someone who wants to learn a language, we don't look at someone and say, like, hey, what kind of loser are you? You're trying to get better at speaking French. Mm. Oh, come on. Either you know it or you don't. And dating and socialize, dating sex, meeting women, that's one of the few areas where we really say you got it or you don't. And we judge people on whether they whether they have it or not. And when you find out that social skills are literally skills – Then that's really appealing, especially if it's wrapped up in this idea of here is secret knowledge that nobody else has that will guarantee you these results. And often in ways that like, we're gonna teach you how to it's weird because you mentioned the Me Too movement and so much, especially in the early days, and even now, a lot of it was like, We're gonna teach you how to bypass women's rejection filters. We're gonna teach you how to turn a no into a yes and never get rejected again. And just the idea of never having to risk anything emotionally and never having to risk the possibility of like someone just turning you down, the the dream girl of your of your life saying like, no, thanks, not interested. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's 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 kind of interesting, right, because it seems like the industry, the pickup industry is, is sort of predicated on on shielding our insecurities as men, you know, like God forbid, we have to feel a little fucking insecure once in a while. (laughs) It's almost like if we can avoid that at all costs, and avoid having to, you know, be rejected. I mean, there's also the counter movement, right? There's like, there's things like rejection therapy, where you could just Mm -hmm. you just practice going out and getting rejected nonstop. So it actually helps you become a little bit a little bit more confident. But is, is that part of why the industry was so successful? It sort of played on that edge that we have as men that sort of tells us, uh, you know, and, and I'm curious to get your thoughts as to whether or not you feel like this is a a cornerstone or part of masculinity, but it sort of played on the, the narrative that we as men in order to be more alpha in order to be more successful or, or seen as, as a successful as a man needed, need to be good with women and dating.
1: Oh, yeah. No, that's that's a big one, because one of the one of the classic you know ways that men are taught to find their value is by how many people you slept with or how successful you are with women. And it's it's one of those moments of, OK, well, which which person is ultimately the better, bigger man, the person who's had a thousand one night stands, but all of those women can't stand him or the person who's only slept with one person. But he's been with that one person their entire lot li- his entire life, and they have an amazing relationship together. Mm. If you go by a pure numbers standpoint, then a lot of people would say, well, it's clearly the guy who's had a thousand one night stands because he can get 1,000 women. But he can't stay with them. They don't like him afterwards. On the other hand, so you know, it's, it's weird how we've decided that this is one of the ways that we determine our value, and then we shame people who don't live up to it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. And, you know, I, I definitely fell into that space. Like I wasn't particularly good at anything in high school. You know, I was shit with math and English. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, academically, I was just not good. But and, you know, as an average, maybe above average hockey player, I wasn't super good at sports. But all of a sudden, in high school, I started to get a lot of tension from women. And that became the thing that I gravitated towards where I was like, oh, if I'm going to get really good at something, I'm going to get really good at this because it seems to be the one thing that I'm getting natural attention at. I definitely had an interest in it because of course, you know, as a 16 or 17 year old kid and, and that became the thing that my, for a while, my identity really became, um, centered around. And yeah. so do you see that a lot with men where if there's if there's sort of like a lack or a void in them being quote unquote good at something that they that they tend to like lean towards this direction or or can go in this direction
1: it's definitely one of the areas that's the easiest to point to as a way of compensating for some perceived lack and there've been there've been studies that have found that like guys who are who don't have a lot of social success or don't have a lot of social facility with women will try to um they'll try to counteract that or compensate for it By acting in more extreme, supposedly manly ways, especially in college. And so you end up with a lot of people who really binge drink to the point of just almost like intoxicated unconsciousness Mm. or who try to immediately have many, 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 many casual partners as possible or even get violent because violence is another very easy way of shoring up your, your manhood credentials. And it it's ju- it's a performance, and that's one of the things that's strange about it is how much of masculinity is just a performance and a performance by people who are deathly afraid that they don't measure up somehow.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it's we are definitely performance based uh, when it, when it comes to men and masculinity. it, it is a huge sort of measuring contest often. And I, you know, I think, I think with, with all this said, there's nothing wrong with performance. There's nothing wrong with competition. There's nothing wrong with, you know, being socially gifted or or socially active at all. Right. I think this, you know, these things are incredibly important. And, you know, I think a lot of my, my personal development, and I'm curious to get your insight on this, but a lot of my personal development initially started with dating and and learning you know social cues and social skills and being able to read people simply because of dating so so what's the you know what's the positive side of what you learned when you were going through that
1: well yeah that's it's one of the things I always I always like to say is that it's a complicated thing for me because the pickup scene definitely changed my life and honestly it changed it for the better because i learned one of the first things i learned was i was defining myself by what i thought my limitations were and it wasn't even those weren't even my real limitations it was just stuff that i had decided maybe i had done it once or twice and failed at it and just decided nope i'm not ever doing this again yeah and so much of who i thought i was and what i was capable was ba- capable of was based on these ideas like i and it, It's, you know, admittedly, it sounds like I'm saying like people who have lots of casual sex are bad or doing things wrong. I disagree. It's why you're having it. One of the things that I discovered when I was dating, uh, when I was in the pickup scene was when I first started dating, when I first had my first serious relationship, I thought this was what I was going to do because I had no other choice. Like I was going to have to stick with this woman for the rest of my life, no matter how miserable she made me, because she was the only person who would ever have me. Hmm. And as I as I got into realizing that no, actually I can be charismatic, I can be socially skilled, and pickup taught me a lot of social skills, was realizing like, okay, first of all, A, I have options, and B, maybe I'm not as monogamous as I thought I was. Hmm. And that became that was that was another interesting thing to learn that like I'm, you know, what my relationship styles, my preferred relationship styles are going to be, and whether it's what I've been taught or thought I wanted versus what I was discovering that, you know, maybe this is a better version of me. Hmm.
0: Do you feel like this is a funny, I don't even know where this question came from, but do you feel like there is a female version of the pickup industry? Um, Yeah, it's called Cosmo. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, that's a good point. That's a good point. The shit that's in Cosmo sometimes, I see those magazines and I'm like, damn, like they are just openly – all right, like this is going to go for it. I see. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's that's one of
1: the things that's a really interesting contrast in terms of how men are socialized versus how women are socialized. There has been a massive industry for teaching women how to find and keep a guy. And we can talk about how much of it is, how much is legitimate, how much of it is absolutely horrible advice, but it's out there. And so at least there were people and women were encouraged to like talk and seek out help and men were not. So it, it's it's interesting that the first time that we actually had one and it's kind of it, it's, you know, the men men's dating advice industry kind of went to an extreme at first. And I think I like to think that I'm kind of helping swing it back to something more authentic, more positive.
0: Yeah, I I, I mean, I appreciate that insight because I think, you know, far too frequently go in the direction of wanting to take things to an extreme. And I think finding that balance about what works is is incredibly important. What do you feel? Let's talk about dating a little bit. I want to mm-hmm. move maybe away from the, the pickup industry and we can talk about it more as as we go along and, and layer things in because I'm sure that there's so much more that we could talk about uh, from that space. But I want to talk about dating a little bit because I feel like one of the keys to a great relationship is that both parties for you know, however long they're together, they continue to date each other, whether they've been together for a month, a year, 10 years, or however long. So where, let's talk about men specifically, where do men usually go wrong when it comes to dating? I think the biggest place where we
1: go wrong when it comes to dating is that we tend to assume that once we're in a relationship, the work is done. And it, it, it gets almost even more extreme once the relationship becomes more committed. Like when you become a husband and wife or husband and husband, if you want, um, that the adventure is over. Mm. And we see this kind of reinforced a little bit in uh, in pop culture where we'll see comedies where there is a couple and they're usually like middle aged, kind of dumpy um, where it's revealed that, oh, hey, they're swingers or they're into kinky sex. And isn't that funny? And my immediate thought is like, no, these people know what exactly what they're doing. They're keeping their relationship hot like, and, because so often we tend to have this weird thing where it's like, all right, well, we found a partner are we, we've committed, we've married to them. Now is the end of sexual adventure. Now is the end of all the things that we used to love to do together because, you know, she's my wife. She's the mother of my children. I can't do that with the mother of my children Except, yeah, you totally can. That's exactly what
0: they want. <laughs> well, it's kind of it's kind of funny how we have all of these rules. I, I think mm-hmm. you know the interesting thing about what you're saying is that where where we usually go wrong is is almost you know predicated or built off of our innate nature as like performance-based mm-hmm. you know creatures as men right so it's like okay the goal is to get the relationship boom relationship done okay the goal is to you know get married boom marriage happens and then we kind of like rest back on our laurels so i i appreciate i appreciate that so where how do we how do we start to curb that natural tendency because i you know my Wife is a, a couples therapist here in Manhattan, and we see it all the time with couples who, you know, sort of reach a certain stage of comfort, right? Because who doesn't love comfort? And they get into a routine, and that routine, especially sexually, starts to really kill intimacy. So what insight or advice would you have for, uh, for individuals to sort of curb or move away from the traditional uh, habits within a relationship?
1: I think the best thing that anybody could do to keep the keep their relationship from kind of getting stale is to simply make an effort and to treat the relationship like it's still new. Uh, one of the, one of the columns I occasionally do on my site is called uh, nerd role models. And I talk about, I I use pop culture uh, examples of, for various concepts, because when you, when you talk about stuff, it's, you can kind of intellectually understand it, but sometimes it's hard to picture it. And so it's really handy to have something that you can point to and go, oh, that's what this looks like. And if, for my money, one of the, greatest couples in pop culture and one of the greatest things to point to when it comes to this is how you keep a relationship alive and happy are gomez and morticia adams (laughs) because they are if you watch if you watch it like it's one of the few times you'll see a couple on tv where you actually believe that they still love each other and we can joke we can laugh a little bit about the whole tish you spoke french but the whole Their whole relationship is based on the fact that neither of them have ever settled. They're both still really making an effort. They're both dressing up for one, one another. They're both being really affectionate with one another. They're both expressing their appreciation for each other and reminding each other that, oh, yes, by the way, I think you're the hottest thing on two legs and that goes a really long way to keeping the spark going and the spark is going to fade because that's just the nature of being a mammal but the more effort you put into it and the more that you try to keep things vibrant the more that you can bring it back mm. so if you and, if and part of the and some of it is like we the way that we look at stuff like date night And we plan the wrong date nights. We plan, you know, dinner out, maybe go out and go see a movie. When instead, what we should be doing is treating it like it's a first date again and doing the things that we used to do to impress each other and to really like have fun. So instead of going out and just having a lovely candle at dinner, maybe go out and go salsa dancing or go out and go to a carnival and go on the roller coaster and get your heart rate going. Because the more we're bad at understanding why we feel the way we do, we feel the physical effects of things and then ascribe it to the circumstances. So when our heart rate is up and, you know, we're excited and we look over and there's our, you know, there's our partner, we associate that feeling with our partner.
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because a lot of the research shows that when we experience new things with our partner, it actually helps us love them deeper. You yeah, know, it does. That actually helps us feel more connected to them because we we're experiencing joy, we're having new experiences, creating new memories, and we're not just in the same old patterns and habits. So I, I think that's really, really great insight. Yeah, we're a novelty seeking species. We we definitely, we definitely are. We're curious, right? We're just, you know, we're curious monkeys sometimes. Let's talk about modern dating. Cause I think, you know, with Mantox, I've been to all of the major cities around North America and I hear this consistent complaint about how bad modern dating is. And so I'm curious to get your perspective on why, why do single people <laughs> think that modern <laughs> dating is so shitty? Like what what's the what's the gap? What's the dating gap right now in in modern culture?
1: Honestly, I think a lot of his dating apps.
0: Because we
1: have never looked at just how awful the dating app experience can be. And it's it's especially... I hear a lot from guys who say that dating apps have made have made women too picky. They've made them too judgy. Like, oh, women can now only go for the hottest of hot men, and so they have no reason to want to consider me. And yeah, because we never do that. Yeah, because <laughs> first of all, yeah, <laughs> we never do that. Come about, on now, <laughs> like, you know? Whoa, this woman thought she had a chance with me. What the hell? Ha ha ha! But I think anyone who's ever said that has either never created a woman's profile on a dating app or talked to their female friends about what OKCupid or Tinder is like for them, because holy dear God, um, I have friends, several of my female friends have shown me their inbox on Tinder. And it's literally the first thing that comes out of someone they've matched with is, so when are we fucking? Not hi, not how are you doing? It's just like, so sex is clearly a foregone conclusion. When are you going to give it to me? And those are the polite ones. (laughs) And that's a big part of it is that just that like because we feel like for guys we feel like because you can keep on swiping, why bother putting in any effort to it? And so, so many people just throw out the worst possible introductions or come ons and that leaves women feeling exhausted and drained because nobody can put up with that bullshit for terribly long. And they're feeling, they're feeling like, why am I doing this? And the guys who aren't doing that are getting lost in the shuffle because, you know, they're, they're having a harder time standing out from the deluge of crap that women get. And everybody's just sort of like, oh, what now? That makes it a little bit harder for people to meet on dating apps. And people are having an even harder time meeting in person mm. because, well, honestly, we never teach anyone about how to date or how to meet people. We don't teach people social skills. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's that's one of the biggest problems. I think in this day and age, somebody who has an idea of how they can actually go and meet someone in person has a superpower hmm. because it happens so rarely these days. And it, I know people have said, like, you know, Me Too has ruined flirting or whatever. And it really has. And all that's happened is we started to realize that guys have been getting away with heinous behavior. We may not have realized that it was heinous. We thought it was what we were supposed to do but it turns out like no actually it was making things worse for everybody and so now people are a little a little more cautious than they were but they've overcorrected to the point of like all right i'm going to be so sure not to offend or not to accidentally violate anyone's consent that i'm going to be paralyzed
0: yeah yeah well i think we should circle back around on the on the me too you know post dating mm-hmm. post me too but i mean it's interesting my my wife and i we went and spoke at her old school about dating and these these kids are like junior high high school And we, you know, we did kind of like a poll to see who was actually dating within their class. And we had, I think we had three or four different classes Mm -hmm. and there was one couple and that was it. And the rest of them, we, and we, as we got into it, like we started talking about real shit. Like we were talking about Mm -hmm. how these kids, you know, would send or receive dick pics and how there was this huge hookup culture which seems to be really, really prominent because it's so much easier. There's, you know, it takes up less time. Uh, it's so much easier. And so, you know, some of these kids are like 14, 15 years old, 16 years old. They've never actually been in a relationship. They're just hooking up because, because they have things like Snapchat, right. Mm-hmm. And where they can just snap each other and then, you know, say whatever they want to say, and they can just go hook up. Do you feel like things are going to get worse before they get better in terms of how apps are affecting our ability to to date
1: i think there's still a learning curve i think we're still for all that we've had like OKCupid since the early 2000s and tinder a little bit longer than uh, a little bit after that and grinder and all the rest of them i think we're still learning i think we're still adapting to a more like remote based source of communication because we're designed ultimately or evolved to however you want to phrase it for face-to-face communication and a whole lot of stuff gets lost in when you do it over text and there's still a lot of information that's lost even when you do it over video or pictures and so we're still kind of figuring that part out it's just like the idea of how hard it is to read text uh read emotion or intent over text i even i get stressed out when i hear i get a text from a friend of mine says hey can we talk And there's nothing else with it. It's like, okay, cool. (laughs) I have no other clues as to what this means. Am I about to find out something has gone horribly wrong? Or does he have tickets to the Star Wars that he wants to sell me? And that makes it that makes it harder. And I think the other thing it's going to be interesting to see, especially when you were talking about the hookup culture in high school, I wonder how many people are participating in it because they feel like they have to, not because they want to. Yeah. And how many of them would really rather be in something lower key, more, more committed, more emotionally intimate, but are afraid to ask for it because this is what you're supposed to want.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. What do you feel like the pressures are in modern dating on, on men versus women? Maybe let's just look at them separately. Like what are the pressures on, let's start with women. What are the pressures Mm -hmm. on women right now in modern dating for your perspective? From,
1: My experience with talking
0: with a lot of women, because for for all that I started
1: my career as mostly giving advice to young men, because I'm a straight, cisgendered man, and that's where my advice is based out of my experience, I've had a lot of women write in and ask questions as well. And a lot of times, they feel like they kind of have to be the cool girl, the one who's really into all of this. They kind of have to suppress who they actually are. And they feel like, okay, I have to play along with like, okay, cool. Yeah, no, I love the I love the low key thing. I love the completely casual relationship thing. I love never I love being afraid of discussing what where is this relationship going? Because I don't want the guy to think that I'm clingy. And we have a lot of guys at the same token who have never been taught to engage with their emotions or how to express them healthfully and how to understand them. And so they're afraid to communicate as well. And it's a lot easier to hook up and keep things casual and then to, than it is to confront that maybe you have strong feelings for this person. Maybe you have emotional needs that are going unmet, but you don't know what they are because you've never engaged with them or you don't know how to ask for them.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. How does, how do you feel like one of the, one of the biggest things that I find, uh, you know, when I speak at events or, um, you know, do like a live on Instagram or something like that, I'll have a lot of women, who identify as being like the strong, independent woman. Mm-hmm. And and frequently they talk about how uh, men are intimidated by them. So can we just talk about the independent woman and being intimidating? Why, why is it that so many men seem to be intimidated by strong, independent women?
1: Because I think we've been taught that we, that like to be a man means to be in charge and to be the leader and for other people to need you. And especially if that's where we're taught, where our value is, our value is in what we can do for others. If can we be the provider? Can we be the protector? Can we be the person who gives them something that they don't have? And the idea of meeting someone where they don't need something from us, that get that throws off the program entirely. It's like, oh, where do I go with this now if they don't need me?
0: Shouldn't they shouldn't they need something from from us in a relationship, though?
1: Well, it, yeah, but it's like a need for connection, a need for intimacy, mm. a need for someone who is there for them in ways that other people aren't. That's all a legitimate need. But we tend to look at like our, the way that we're supposed to be in a relationship based on external material things. Can I provide for my family? Am I a man if I am not providing for my family? Am I a man if I am not in charge? Mm. And that when when people don't follow that pattern – that throws people off and makes them confused and makes them scared or makes them intimidated
0: yeah it's interesting right because it seems like a lot of these independent women are uh you know they're wanting the relationship but they've almost like adopted like in some ways a men a man's mindset where it's like oh i have to have this all together i have to have all of my shit together and i can't need anything from you because then I'm, you know, I, I'm sort of like broken or dysfunctional in some way, or, you know, I'm going to get too hurt in some way. And there's they're sort of a similar mindset in, in that way, which is, I, I find very fascinating. So how, this is an interesting question. How does a man bridge the gap with an independent woman? How does a man actually enter into the dating scene with an independent woman and, and be effective?
1: I think the way that the best way that you can enter the dating scene with someone who is strong and independent that way is to look at this not as a who's in charge, who's in control, or what can I do for you, but to look at it as what can we do together. Mm. It's the way that I like to, to put it. and I, it, This came from a website called uh, Yes Means Yes, is to look at it as as like a jam session where you say, here's what I have. Here's what you have. What happens when we put these things together? So it's like one person's got a guitar, another person's got a keyboard. What kind of songs can they play together? And it becomes something collaborative and something that you build together as opposed to trying to force, you know, force. All right. You need this. I need that.
0: Hmm. Do you feel like – or or maybe just from like an advice standpoint, mm-hmm. should men in those positions avoid saying things like you intimidate me uh, or you... – because there seems to be – it's interesting. There seems to be this – I hear a lot of women that sort of like take pride in that, right? There's mm-hmm. like a there's like a pride there. They're like, oh, I intimidate men. So any thoughts on that? I know I'm kind of like putting you on the spot on this mm-hmm. one. <laughs>
1: It's one thing if you're saying it in like sharing and you're being honest with each other and it's a case of, you know, just talking about your feelings with one another and being legit. It's another when you're saying you're when you say you intimidate me and that's why you're bad, Mm. because I've seen some people saying, like, you shouldn't be intimidating because that scares off men. And then that becomes the question of, well, do you really want to be in a relationship with somebody that you can scare off?
0: Mm hmm. How do you feel? How do you feel like the post me Too movement has shifted dating for women? Because I think externally, my, you know, my partner and I, we've talked a lot about this at length and in, in events and whatnot. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to get your perspective on how you've seen the expectations that women have on the dating scene change post me too.
1: I think the, the biggest thing is that we're starting to see women not being willing to put up with stuff that they were putting up with before, because a lot of I one of the things that I've run into with with people and especially men in the now that Me Too has become and become much more prominent on the scene is the question of like, OK, well, what this is wrong. This is what I was taught to do all my life. I'm not a bad person. So why why do I feel like I'm being persecuted or being accused of stuff? And it's they're right. No, they're not a bad person. It's just that we've been taught the wrong things. And we've been taught st- taught to treat women in a lot of ways abominably and that it was okay to to act this way. And now we're starting to recognize that oh no, that's actually really not cool. And for a lot of people, having to make that shift is hard because it's a lifetime of training and a lifetime of education. And it's really hard to, especially when you think of yourself as like, I'm one of the good ones to realize that you might have hurt or scared someone that you care about. And so now we're we're reaching a point where it's like, okay – we're recognizing that we've done that things have been wrong and we're trying, we're trying to fix them. And it's, it's complicated. It's scary. We're kind of going into, into like a a time of flux and that's always chaotic.
0: Yeah. I think it's interesting because there seem to be a group of guys or, you know, large, maybe not large, but there's a group of men who seem to be threatened by the media movement in the sense that they feel like, I, I keep hearing this same narrative of like, oh, I can't be manly. You know, I can't be masculine. I I, I can't be assertive in dating. And it's like, no, that's not really what the Me Too movement is saying. That's not really what yeah, women exactly. are saying. They're not saying that they don't want you to be assertive or be forward or be masculine. They're simply saying, you know, there are certain things that are going to cross a line. Like if you've never talked to someone and you're sending your dick Mm-hmm. <laughs> or via text or something like that that might not be appropriate she might not want that right like like there are and and that's just a ridiculous example but but you know in dating as well in these conversations it's like you can still be assertive you can still be a man you can still be manly um and to start to to start to be more aware i think that's what's actually being called of us now more than ever as men is is to Generate and cultivate and develop a deeper sense of self and social awareness so, yeah, no, exactly so shifting into that side, what do you feel like are some of the uh, some of the pressures that a lot of men are feeling and experiencing right now in modern dating?
1: I think one of the pressures they 're feeling is how to is, as you were just saying, how to if be assertive, how to be someone who can make a move. And still be aware of women's comfort and consent. And some of it is how we, it comes down to the fact we don't teach consent. We barely teach anything about sex and relationships in general. If what the, the state of sex ed in the United States, at least, is <laughs> horrifying. Yeah. If they teach anything other than don't have sex or you'll die, they teach a glorified plumbing lesson, a little bit about STIs, and that's it. We don't even get, hey, sex is supposed to feel good. We just literally get told A goes into t- slot A goes into tab B, and that's all you got. <laughs> and we never get taught about things like here's what a healthy relationship looks like, here's how you ask for consent. And we, and there are so many people who want to make a joke or talk about like, you know, asking for consent's not sexy. The hell it's not. You just don't have no imagination. Yeah. Because there is no woman out there where if, and this is an example I love to use, where if you're having a great night out, and there comes a point where like the two of you are standing really close together and you both kind of feel the moment come. And the guy looks her in the eye and says, I would love to kiss you right now. Like women will melt for that. And that's a way of saying like asking for her consent.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, I think it's I think it's on point And it's really it's interesting, right? Because I do feel like a lot of men are and this isn't to blame or shame and I think that mm-hmm. I think that men collectively, especially in North America, are are just sort of, you know, shook. <laughs> and they're yeah. trying to figure it out. It's like, okay, can I can I do that? You know, like can I can I say things like this? Is that too far? And I think I think that you know there's there's a bit of discretion that needs to be brought brought into it right like mm-hmm. you know depending on who you're dating like I think the people that listen that are listening to this show are you know they they're generally middle of the road they're not like hyper alt right or hyper I don't know if it's alt left I don't know what you'd call that um but you know they're 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 generally in in the middle of the road spectrum so they're probably not dating the person that's like you know, on the, on the campus wanting, you know, a a full consent form to be signed before any sexual intercourse happens, which is happening in some places. Right. But, you know, I think it's just knowing who you're dating. Right. And part of it is like getting to know who you're dating so that you can bring forward the discretion of like, okay, what, what is going to be acceptable here? How can I be assertive here? What does that actually look like? How can I enter into this conversation? So yeah, I think that's I think that's great. Where where do you see uh where do you see casual sex fitting into the modern dating scene because I think one of the biggest things that I hear is sort of like this narrative and this dialogue between men and women and obviously we're talking a lot in in heterosexual terms but the yeah. dialogue between men and women where, you know, the connotation is that women want relationships and men want sex. And while that is sometimes true, it's definitely not all the time true. So how does, how have you seen casual sex in data, in the dating world change and shift, whether it's because of Me Too or not, just in the last couple of years?
1: I think the big thing is that women are starting to realize that it's, not a question of, do I, you know, can I have casual sex or not? It's a question of, is it worth it? Because women, a lot of women want to have sex the same way that men do. They want, like, there are a lot of women, because I know I hear from them, who would love to have just, you know, some casual partners to be able to go out if they're feeling the itch, find a guy and go home with them. But more often than not, it's just not worth it for them. Because the problem is that when we talk about casual sex, we tend to use that as an excuse to treat the people men at least have the tendency to use this as an excuse to treat the people we're having sex with casually. And we don't as guys, we're going to get off. I mean, there was a study that guys found that guys tend to orgasm 80% of the time in sexual encounters where women vary from 60% in a committed relationship to 30% in a casual one. Mm. And for a lot of women, that's just not worth it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's interesting because it seems like there is a, an acceptance and an allowing and an openness for women to mm-hmm. talk about sex quite a bit more. Like I think when I when I think about I mean, the majority of my past partners and how they would talk about, you know, their friends, their friends' sex life or how they talk about our sex life with their friends and whatnot. And, you know, when I started doing more and more men's work, I started to realize how little men actually talk about sex with their buddies, you know, and there's so much shame around the conversation. So just from your perspective, what types of conversations should men be having with their guy friends about sex, whether it's in dating or in their relationships or in their marriages? Uh, part of it, I think, is like talking about their experiences honestly
1: and openly, not just a case of "Hey, I got some last week. Yeah, high five. I mean, cool, good for you." <laughs> yeah, and it, and it lasted but, like two minutes, and they're you know yeah, but we don't talk about it. yeah, we don't talk about the fact that like okay, yeah, no, I hooked up with this person, and I did the walk of shame home. Why? Because she was ugly. It's like no, because it was empty and unfulfilling. Or talking about you know the ways that. Their relationship, you know, they've improved the sex in their relationship. I mean, we have guys have a hard time talking about deeper subjects without uh, without an excuse like we we won't talk about our emotional state or our relation or the state of our relationships unless we have a couple of beers in us first. Mm. So like okay cool we're a little buzzed now we can actually say like I love you man I love our friendship or yeah no I love my wife but I I'm I'm afraid that I can't satisfy her or I'm afraid that I'm falling out of attraction with her and then we can actually have the real in-depth conversations that we've been, we've as a gender have taught ourselves we're only allowed to have with women in general and our partners in particular.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I think that a lot of men have, I was running a men's group a couple of years back and, um, it was a group of 12 guys. And I asked them, you know, how many of you talk about sex with your partner regularly? And all of them were in a relationship. I think mm-hmm. the majority of them were married. And and I said, by regularly, I mean, at least once a quarter and, and one hand went up and I was like, holy shit, like (laughs) what is happening? You know, and then, and then you look at, you look at the correlation to the frequency of of sex that they're having with their partner. And it's, and it's, you know, very relevant, right? Because Mm -hmm. we're, we have this social conditioning to not talk about sex as men, but, mm-hmm. but this incredible amount of social pressure to be these, like, you know, sex gods. And, I you know, a lot of it, in, in my personal opinion, has come from pornography. But I'm mm. curious what role, from your perspective, does porn play in a man's uh, sex life, in a man's dating life, and, and in a man's relationship? I think the biggest problem
1: is that a lot of times we, because we never talk about what relationships or sex is supposed to look like, porn kind of in some way steps into the gap. And so we get, we get ideas of what it's supposed to be like. But I think the bigger problem are the things that we don't see in mainstream porn, where we don't see couples talking about what they need or what they want, Mm. or we don't see the, we don't see like you know, women saying like, hey, I need this from you if I'm going to get off or men telling their partners, you know, hey, I, I, you know, could you tr- could we try this this time? We don't see the vulnerability. We don't see the communication. We don't see the laughter like, like anyone who's been in a long term relationship will tell you sex can get damn absurd sometimes. <laughs> and the only thing you can do is just like in the middle of it, you and your partner just kind of look at each other and just start laughing over whatever weird thing just happened. And so we we have like that lack of communication, that whole like I can make you get off without having to know anything about you. I think that causes a problem. And that puts us in the habit of not not even talking about it with our partners.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree with that. And and, you know, I think it's interesting because both men's men's and women's bodies are so fundamentally different and what they need in order to reach that place, in order to enjoy it fully is going to vary from person to person. And do you feel like one person within a relationship sort of has to be like the sexual leader, like needs to be able to sort of take the initiative to say, we're going to talk about these things. We're going to explore these things. We're going to experiment with these things. Like, How does that show up in dating if if you do have the two people who are a little bit shy or a little bit more reserved when it comes to talking about sex and intimacy?
1: I think in every relationship, there's going to be one partner who's the more dominant one and there's one who's the more submissive. That's just the nature of people. But sometimes, but sometimes it has to be just like someone has to be the first to say, to speak up. And more often than not, if like, if the other part, like, if someone's got to be the first, might as well be you and be able to say, you know, here are, here are my needs. Here are my, what I would like to try. Is. Here are my definite do nots. Here are my landmines. Please do not ever step on these. How about you? And one of the greatest things that you, one of the greatest gifts that you can give to somebody is to model the behavior that you want
0: and then give them the space to respond to it. Mm. Yeah. And, and when it comes to people exploring this, like, you know, I think some people before they get into, whether it's a man or a woman, whether before they get into a a long-term committed relationship, there's oftentimes this want or desire to want to experience or explore, you know, sort of get a little bit of like sexual maturity under their belt. And, you know, I think that's why it's part of the reason why it's not all the reason why, but it's part of the reason why casual relationships, casual sex, you know, are popular. So Mm -hmm. in terms of exploring Uh, you know, wants and desires, do you have any sort of insight or recommendation for people who are wanting to explore themselves or their desires, um, you know, within the context of dating or relationships? The more that you know yourself, the and the more that you're able to communicate it,
1: the better that sex will be for you in general, whether it is with a casual partner, or whether it's with someone you've been with for years. And this is something that I recommend uh, men especially to do because men, for the most part, we never really stop and think about exactly we know what we like because we can do it to ourselves, but we don't really intellectualize it. We don't like break it down. We've just like we've done it for so long. We just know it by m- my muscle memory. Mm-hmm. But can you explain it to somebody else? Can you explain to somebody that like, OK, well, you like to do these things you need if you someone is giving you a blowjob or a hand job. Where do you need more pressure? Where do you need less pressure? Do you prefer it faster or slower more towards the glands more towards the shaft? If you like sex, are there particular pet like particular um, penetrative positions that you like? are some positions going to make you get off faster are some that make you like that you just don't like at all because they make you physically uncomfortable if you can if you know these things about yourself and you can explain them to the person that you're sleeping with then your then your partner, knows what you can do what they can do for you and then you can give them like permission as it were to share the same with you because the 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 greatest thing to for anybody who wants to be a better lover a willingness to listen and to take direction without getting your ego involved
0: mm. yeah i think that's i think that's a great one okay I, introvert versus extrovert dating i think mm-hmm. one of the things that you talk quite a bit about you know, as, uh, with the demographic of, of men that you support, what are some of the differences that you've seen between a, a, someone who identifies as an introvert versus an extrovert and how they, uh, how they date and how they show up in a relationship?
1: Well, I think the most interesting thing is um, the people who get – who kind of create this artificial like incorrect distinction where we think that introvert means shy and extrovert means outgoing. As opposed to just where we get our energy from. Extroverts get, get energy from being around other people, from interacting with people, and are drained when they're more on their own. Whereas introverts are the other way around, they tend to recharge their energy when they're by themselves and expend that energy around other people. And there can be outgoing introverts and shy extroverts. So it's no understanding that makes it a lot easier to figure out what dating style works best for you. Like an outgo, uh, like an extrovert can do better maybe at the bar scene or going to parties or playing the social circle game of getting to know people and meeting friends that, meeting partners that way, but through friends of friends, because they they get energi- energized by being around other people. Whereas introverts often will do better kind of on a one on one basis where they can get to know somebody on a little more, like on a more, private, ba- private basis. So online dating for them can sometimes be a little better or meeting people on kind of like a being set up on a blind date, because this way they're not exhausting themselves trying to date in a style that doesn't work for them.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think I think that's great. And and just last, I, I want to end off on on this, because uh, I know we're kind of running out of time here. But um, what are some of the the masculine constructs that over the years you've seen sort of infringe on our ability to have healthy relationships and healthy dating, like w- without going into like toxic masculinity and and yeah. and all that, maybe. But um, what are some of the masculine constructs that you have seen hurt men and, and women in in the dating scene?
1: I think the biggest one is the is restricting our emotions to the only emotions we're allowed to display or feel are anger and stoic indifference and vulnerability is right out and that makes it very hard to date somebody because dating or b- even being friends with someone male or female requires vulnerability and intimacy and if we're not allowed to express those things then we can never really connect with them and that doesn't mean like just suddenly feelings dumping all over somebody. Nobody wants to be like, <laughs> just, just wanting to date someone and all of a sudden, like, hey, now you're my therapist. Let me explain to you like all my complicated feelings about my parents. Uh, but being able to put yourself out there authentically, and even being willing to say like, hey, I, you know, I really like you, but I'm worried that maybe you're you're drifting away. Or I really have this emotional need that we are not that's not being met. And I would appreciate it if you could do if you could talk me down or help me with this. That's huge.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a that's definitely a big one and in and, and a really an important part when it comes to relationship because it, it really is something that I think more and more people are, are craving and it's a huge part of the social skills that you're talking about, right? Being able mm-hmm. to recognize those things in ourselves are also important when it comes to connecting with the people around us. So mm-hmm. yeah, man, I mean, listen, this has been an absolute uh, pleasure. I feel like we could, you know, we could jam on a whole bunch of different topics. I I had written down to dive into uh, open relationships and polyamory, but I feel like maybe we'll have to leave that for, uh, for another time. So, just one last piece of advice for any of the the self identified nerds and and geeks and mm-hmm. uh, and and the the sort of like the shy uh, introverts who are out there dating or in relationships or in marriages. Uh, what would you leave them with?
1: Focus less on trying to impress somebody and more about trying to connect with them the more that you can, we, we like people who are like us. And the more that you can find the things that you have in common, the things that you both love, enjoy, or curious about, or are passionate about the more that
0: you can find, the more that you're going to find people who want to be with you. Amen to that. Amen to that, man. That's so good. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Harris, for being on the man talks podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This has been an amazing conversation. Awesome. And for everyone that's out there, definitely go check out drnerdlove.com. You can check out uh, some of Harris's work there. Uh, And don't forget to share this podcast with just one person, Man it Forward. Share it with with somebody else uh, who is in the dating scene, who's in the relationship, who is wanting to learn and grow and expand in this area. Uh, Don't forget to leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you are tuning into us on. And until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual.